in the book of Romans. Romans 7, 1 through 6. I'll give you a moment to turn there. The title of this morning's sermon is A New Way of Serving. Romans 7, 1 through 6. And let us begin this morning with our text. As we turn there, it's been a glorious series so far. We've got a lot more yet to come. May God feed us this morning through his holy word. All right, Romans 7, starting with verse 1. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she'll be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Verse 4. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. Church, let's pray. Oh Lord, this morning we are asking that you would speak to our hearts, that you would settle our hearts, that you would stir our hearts. Oh Lord, there are things that you want us to know. There are things which you want to remind us of this morning about who you are, about our relationship to you and to whom we belong. Lord, would this truth, would this knowledge sink into our being and may it cultivate and may it bring forth gratitude, abundant praise, and worship and service to you, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Well, as you know, church, last Sunday was... Mother's Day. A week has passed and thought it might be appropriate to do a little reflection this morning. So my first question is, dads, how did you do? Mothers, children, how did you do in honoring mom? First of all, did you remember that it was Mother's Day prior to coming here on Sunday morning last week? Number two, Did you remember to send or to give her a card? Or were you one day expressing it in the mail? Thirdly, did you give her flowers? Or were you flocking to the rented U-Haul vans on the street corners at Hialeah the day of to purchase your flowers wherever you live? Thirdly, or fourthly, dads, children, Did you have a plan about what to do for mom, for lunch, 
or for dinner that day. How did it go? You see, friends, let's face it. With holidays come expectations. Oh, yeah. And if you're like me, I have to continually renew my mind. Otherwise, the expectations of the holidays can become a burden. I can come to resent them. Even when the ones that I'm spending it with and I desire to honor, I know love me and are putting no pressure at all upon me. Well, I sometimes can battle this with Mother's Day, but the grace of God, Mom, did, I did not this past Mother's Day and Cindy. It was a joy. But I do find another holiday particularly painful. It's Valentine's Day. And don't, don't get me started there on this Hallmark card created holiday, okay? Oh, I feel it. I feel the heat and pressure on Valentine's Day. I feel bound to the unspoken or even the spoken rules of Valentine's Day. You know what? I just want to rebel. I want to rebel and free myself from them. I feel at times the crushing weight of expectations. And I lose my delight. My joy is sapped and my creativity just shrivels. My, my thinking goes something like this. Okay, it's Valentine's Day. It's coming up. I got to be romantic. I got to be romantic. What is romantic? <laughs> oh no, I'm not romantic. <laughs> I am sunk. You see, if you know me, to say I'm not romantic is actually an understatement. I am pathetically economical, efficient, and practical. I am a walking spreadsheet, okay? <laughs> I'm not necessarily a blooming ecosystem for the arts and romance, if you know what I mean. I feel the pressure. And before you know it, duty replaces delight and selfishness replaces honor when it comes to loving my wife. Instead of loving, cherishing, and honoring her, the one whom I love the most, my heart can shift to one objective only during Valentine's Day. I'm just going to share it. One goal, this is sad, this is it. Corey, just don't mess up. Corey, just don't mess up. That's about the extent of it. Ah, but friends, may I suggest to you this morning that such thinking and performance is bondage and it will most likely lead to that which you fear the most. Yes, messing up, or at least failing to honor your cherished one from the heart. You see, church, we can do this with our mothers. We can do this with our valentines. And we can do this with Christ, with our relationship with God. How? When rules replace relationship. When the law and all its demands and expectations trump Trump, the one lawgiver and fulfiller. See, there's something that the author, the human author Paul, wants to remind us of. He wants us to know this morning. And it's that which God is reminding us of this morning. And it's simply this. And it forms the outline of the message today. Let's put it on the screen. This is where we're going this morning. This is the outline, the flow of our text, Romans 7, 1 through 6. It's no Christian 
that you are, number one, not bound to the law. We're going to explain that, what that means. Number two, but you belong to Christ. But why? The final bullet points there. In order that you may bear fruit for God in your service to God. That's where we're going. Fruitful service and life for a Savior. With that in mind, and with that truth embedded in our hearts, then and only then will we be able to enjoy not only each holiday, but each and every day. Only then, if these truths are delivered to our hearts, will the pressure of performance give way to passion and to fruit in your relationship with God and your service to him. So with that in mind, let's now go back to our text this morning, which we already read, and let's locate this passage in Romans 7 in its proper context. And to do that, I believe we need to go back to chapter 6, where Paul has been extolling and expounding the amazing grace of our Lord and Savior. I'll just read it. I'm going to read verse Chapter 6 of Romans, verse 14 and 15. We read this. For sin will have no dominion over you. Paul is speaking to Christians here, fellow Christians. Since you are not under law, but under grace. And then in the very next verse, verse 15 of Romans 6, he asks this question. What then? Are we to sin Because we are not under law, but under grace. And look at his response. By no means! Exclamation mark. In other words, does the gospel of grace, does complete forgiveness in Christ, apart from our works, and based solely on Christ's good works, does that lead us then to live any way that we choose and desire? Or put another way, does the grace of God strip us of any incentive to actually obey him and not to sin. What is Paul's answer? By no means. As Al preached, Al Pino preached last Sunday, each person is either a slave to sin or a slave to God. It's one or the other. Either sin is your master or God is your master. That was Romans 6, verses 15 to 23. But now Paul is going to answer the same question again. Does grace just strip us of any incentive not to sin? But instead of speaking of two masters, this week in Romans 7, Paul is speaking, if you will, about two marriages. In essence, we are either married to the law or married to Christ. But either way, you are not unmarried. And Paul wants you to know that if you're in Christ that if you are joined to Christ in marriage as part of the body of Christ, that your first marriage has been dissolved. That is your marriage or bondage to the law. Thus we read in verse 1 of chapter 7, our very first point, not bound to the law. I'll read it again. Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person? Only as long as he lives? Notice that Paul is speaking to brothers, i.e. Jews and Gentile believers in the church in Rome. And there's something that they should all know. It's a principle. It's a law. It's this. 
The law binds an individual and is only broken by death. That begs a question, doesn't it? What is this law that Paul is referring to throughout this chapters? Well, a variety of commentators would have a variety of different responses and answers to this question. A man would propose, I believe most likely, it is the law of Moses. It's all the laws given to Moses on Mount Sinai. Most famously, but not limited to, the Ten Commandments. You see, it seems that Paul is most clearly referring back to Romans 6, 14, and 15, which we read and which Al preached on last week. You are not under law, but under grace. The law which we are not under, which you are not under, refers to that old redemptive era in which the Mosaic law, and however, 613 of those laws, however many there are, when that law and sin ruled over God's people. We are told that this law, in terms of ruling over God's people, has been severed by death. Paul illustrates his very point in verses 2 and 3. He says this, For a married woman is not bound by a law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, that law of marriage. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Once a married woman dies, she is released from the law of marriage. She is no longer married. She is no longer a wife. Thus, thus, she is free to marry another without reproach or without accusation of being an adulteress. You see, the point here is this. It's not just that she is no longer married to her deceased husband, but that she is also free now to enter into a new relationship. She is free to marry, remarry, and bind herself to someone else. You see, death not only severs the law, but secures her remarriage as well. And for us Christians, here's the point. We have been unbound to the law. Why? So that we might be bound or belong to Christ. And church, that makes all the difference in the world to how we're to live and to serve our Savior. And that entails, brings us to the next point. It's the key verse, I believe, found in verse 4. And it's our second point. We're not bound to the law, but point 2 but belong to Christ. I want to read verse four again. It is so key. It says, Paul is saying, God is saying to us, likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. I've been reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible where we read in verse four, you've also died to the law, Quote, that you may belong to another. The New American Standard Version says that you may be joined to another. If you have the King James Version, it says that you should be married to another, in line with the illustration previously used. 
But whatever word we use, it is clear that our death has brought us in to a new relationship with Christ, a completely different yet binding relationship and allegiance. How is this possible? There's only one way. Through Christ's death and resurrection, because of our union with Christ, Christ's death has become our death to the law. This is expressed in the verbiage in verse 4. You have also died to the law through the body of Christ. I.e., the body of Christ through Christ's physical death on the cross. His death has become our death. So what does it mean that you have died to the law? After all, if the law is referring to the Mosaic law, you might say, well, hey, Corey, I've never been a Jew. I've never attempted to follow all the Torah. I never even thought I lived under it. How can I die to that which I never lived under or never followed in the first place? That's a great question. But I think we can answer it. To paraphrase commentator Douglas Moo, Israel stands in redemptive history as a kind of test case. Their experience with the Mosaic law is in a transferred sense also our experience as well. You see, we have no need to come under the law to identify with those who lived under the law. We don't need to be a Jew to understand the nature of the law, to understand the law's inability to bring victory over sin and death. Do we really? Let's be honest. Most of us here, we're quite acquainted with our own inability to follow God's good commands apart from Christ. We know the enslaving qualities of trying to follow God in our own strength and in our own power. You see, in our natural state, we can't even adhere to our own personal standards, let alone God's perfect, holy, and righteous standards. It doesn't work. By way of illustration, we as pastors, that's Al, Jim, and myself, and I were pulled away for a mini planning retreat last week. Last week, seems like a, a month ago. <laughs> It's been a full week, last week. And of course, pulling away from a retreat, we had to load up on the appropriate amount of snacks. You know what I'm talking about, right? So Jim proceeded to buy a large bag of dark chocolate peanut M&Ms for this trip. Now, all I can say, Jim, is that I didn't even know I liked dark chocolate peanut M&M's before. I had never even tried them before. And, of course, Jim keeps putting them on my table for the whole meeting, okay? As Al was on his so-called diet, or fix, as we shall say. <laughs> oh, but after consuming some of these bad boys, these M&M's, yeah, they were good. I began sliding them like away from me, like putting them on another table. And then internally vowing that I was going to take one last handful of dark chocolate peanut M&Ms. Well, you know where I'm going, don't you, with this one? Of course I couldn't do that. So what did I do next? 
I actually put the bag of M&Ms on a table inside the house. We were meeting on the patio. But that wasn't a deterrent. I mean, I remember several times, Jim's in the middle of talking. And I didn't even know what to, I just, I just got up. I just started walking into the house. Like a moth drawn to light. Like metal to magnet. Boom, baby. I was consuming the dark chocolate peanut M&M's. I don't know what Al was talking about. I don't know what Jim was talking about. I had one thing in mind. Those chocolate M&M's, okay? Oh, dark chocolate M&M's, by the way. Peanut M&M's. I couldn't even stop myself from adhering to my own personal ban or prohibition on M&M's. I couldn't do it with something as trivial as that. Well, church is nothing trivial about God's commands. I think most of us here can identify with the binding and the enslaving properties of the law, which Paul is now going to articulate in verses 5 and 6. In verse 6, let's skip to verse 6. We're going to answer this question. What does it mean, Paul, when you say you've died to the law? Well, interestingly, in verse 6, Paul now inserts himself into the picture. And so should we. By saying, we, we are released from the law, i.e. died to the law, having died to that which held us captive. We died to the law, we were released from the law, which once held us captive. How did the law once hold us captive? Oh, he just explained that back in verse 5. So let's go there, verse 5, chapter 7. He said, For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. See that flesh there, verse 5? That refers to our old way of life, our pre-conversion, when we were once slaves to sin as I'll preach about last week. You see, the law just didn't reveal our sin. Oh, it went much further. You catch that? The law aroused our sinful passion, like those cravings for those dark chocolate peanut M&Ms. The very law that prohibited the exercise of our sinful passions actually stoked those passions, actually inflamed those passions. You see, it's not that our sinful passions existed under the law and were merely revealed by the law. It's not just that the law defined our sin, but our passions worked through the law, through the law, delivering us into greater bondage to sin through it. How the old covenant, how the Mosaic law works is paradigmatic. It's an example of how God's commands and work and operate in our lives apart from Christ and his spirit. It's why when I tell my five-year-old not to pick up and toss the cat, that she actually seems emboldened to do just that. What is forbidden somehow becomes her mission in life. Let's see how far I can chuck the cat on the patio when mommy and daddy aren't looking. Friends, that is the power of the law. The law does not save. The law enslaves. Not because the law is evil or bad. Oh no, it's good. I believe Al is going to preach on that next week. But because of our sinful passions and depravity, 
the law, because of our sin, is rendered unable to bring us victory over sin and death. All that the law could bring us because of our sin was the fruit of death, or it says the fruit for death, as it is put in verse 5. In other words, all the law could bring us apart from Christ was captivity to our sin and condemnation for our sin. Captivity for our sin, in our sin, and condemnation for our sin. But now, but now, Christians, through our union with Christ and his death and resurrection, we no longer stand condemned. Christ took our condemnation and he took our shame brought forth by the law and he bore it on a cross. And Christ perfectly fulfilled the law where we had failed and were captive to it. And his victory has become ours. His victory over sin and death is now ours. Why? But why? So we can be now free to sin at will? Oh, you heard Paul. By no means. But rather so that we might bear fruit for God. Not fruit for death, but fruit for God. That leads to point three. In order that you, we, may bear fruit for God in your, in our service to God. Remember verse four, our key verse? You've died to the law, to the body of Christ. The last part of that verse, in order that, this is why, in order that we may bear fruit for God. I'm afraid we can miss this. I don't want you to miss it. We've been bound to Christ by grace through faith so we might bear fruit for God. See, this is another way of saying we died to the law that we may actually obey God's commandments. You catch the irony there? We have died to the law not so that we could be free from God's commands, but we finally could actually be free to obey them and be empowered to do so. I mean, what is bear fruit for God? Just in essence, it boils down to obedience from the heart and the results thereof that is made possible by the Spirit of God. I believe it's this Spirit-empowered obedience which is being captured in verse 6. It says, We're not released, released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that, there's one of those constructions again, so that, here's the reason why we died to the law, this is why we've been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code or law. This is the new covenant promise of the Spirit producing obedience from the heart in a way that could not be done through the old way of the written code, i.e. the Mosaic law. I wish you had time to go there. Just jot down Jeremiah 31, 33 to see this wonderful new promise of the Spirit and the Spirit's empowered and endowed obedience. Write in another scripture, Ezekiel 36, verse 26 and 27, to capture this new covenant promise of the Spirit. You see, if you're a Christian here this morning, I believe you're here because you want to bear fruit. And here's the marvelous news. 
You can. You can. Why? Because you have been bound to Christ and indwelt and empowered by His Spirit to bear fruit. In other words, you have been re-engineered to bear fruit for God. In this text, Paul is speaking to brothers, sisters, Christians who have been saved by grace, but they're still wondering, what relationship do I have to the law, if any at all, now that I'm saved? Here's Paul's answer. You're finally free to obey the law, as interpreted and fulfilled by Christ, to whom you belong. That is, you've been set free to fulfill the law of love and bear fruit for God in your service to him. Why? Because you have a new master now. Chapter 6 of Romans. Why? Because you have a new marriage. Romans chapter 7. As a church, we have been bound to Christ in a marital covenant and relationship. If you're single here, I have good news for you. I hope you find it good news. You're married. You're married. That is, if you've received the good news of Jesus Christ, if you belong to his church, the body of believers... You are married. And as those who are married, you, we, can no longer make unilateral decisions regarding our life. We can no longer just do what we want to do in regard to no one else. But please make no mistake about it. This loss of freedom, oh, it's not a burden. It's a joy. In fact, it's true freedom. For such a relationship with Christ brings love acceptance, security, and gratitude from which we're then to truly serve. We're free to obey, not out of fear or of rejection. We're free to obey out of relationship not governed by fears and threats, but by grace and love. To quote Pastor Tim Keller, being married to Christ is the final answer to the question, Can a Christian live as he or she chooses? No, because we are in love with Christ. And it's the Holy Spirit who illumines the work of Christ, his grace and his love to our hearts. It's the Holy Spirit, as we'll learn further in the wonderful chapter of Romans 8 that we have assurance that we do, as Christians, belong to Christ. It is the Holy Spirit who empowers us to serve, how? In the new way of the Spirit of which we've been speaking about. And that new way, oh, it's a way of freedom. Freedom from the captivity of sin and freedom from the condemnation of sin. Freedom to know that now you can obey. And the freedom to know that if you don't, God will not cast you off either. Perhaps you read the Bible. You do it often. And all you see are, well, a bunch of commands, imperatives, many good commands. Maybe as you read along in Romans 7, you'll encounter them. Maybe as you go back and look at your notes for the Ten Commandment class. These are good commands. God's law that is there. And as Christians, 
God uses to sanctify us and to make us holy. They're good. And yet when you read them, and you read them in your text, in your Bible, you know what you feel? You just feel guilt. You don't feel any grace. It's just guilt. And it's a perpetual, low-grade guilt. You know what I'm talking about? It just doesn't seem to go away. I mean, it may for a moment, you know, you sing a song and it kind of goes away. You feel good. You may even hear an uplifting message and you feel better. But that low-grade guilt comes right back. Perhaps you come together with us on a Sunday or for what we call our small groups or community groups during the weekdays. It's not that you, you don't feel care from people, but what you feel the most, just you, you feel expectations. Expectations that you are not meeting. You just feel like you are not measuring up. There's a sense that I can never serve enough. Blah, blah, blah. Just going through your mind. So you just stopped reading the Bible, at least consistently, or maybe even started, stopped relating other people or even gathering on a regular basis with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Low grade or even high grade guilt is just the air you breathe. And you know, as well as I, it's toxic. It's toxic. Toxic. Left unchecked, this low grade guilt, which can turn into a high grade guilt, where does it lead? It leads to anger. And it leads to bitterness. Anger and bitterness. Anger and bitterness against God's people. Against the church. And even worse, against God himself. Oh, it can happen. It can happen quite easily. As we begin to orient ourselves around expectations and rules rather than a relationship. Rather than Christ. I mean, you know that you love Christ. And you would say and confess, I do love Christ. I want to follow him. But the freedom of knowing Christ has turned into the burden of following Christ. And there's just little fruit to show from it. Every day for you is like Valentine's Day with the Lord. And you just know you're going to blow it again. You either double your efforts, you just mess up worse, or you feign or pretend, I don't really care anyway. But you know what? You really do care. You just give up. It can happen to all of us. We can lose sight of the very one to whom we're joined or married to. If that is you, God wants to set you free to serve him with passion and fruit. If you haven't tasted what I'm talking about, or it's just been a long time, I believe the Lord has a treat for you. Better than guilt-free dark chocolate peanut M&Ms. Oh, way better. And if this isn't you, I'm glad it's not. If you are enjoying the freedom of being unbound to the law and belonging to being bound to Christ, amen. Can I say this? Please, Lead the way. Here at Palm Vista, we need to see your fruit. We need to taste your fruit. We need to smell the fruit of your obedience. Why? So we may be encouraged as a church.
You see, when we're joined with Christ and we're fixed and we're secure and focused on his love and acceptance and grace, you know what happens when that occurs? There is an energy, there is a creativity that is released in our service to God and one another. It's truly supernatural. You know what else? It's truly contagious as well. There's life. There's sparkle. There's exuberance. There's fruit. And it can be experienced regularly. I believe daily in our walk with the Lord and our service to God. So to sum it up, church, here's my hope. Here's my prayer. Here's my vision. And I know we share this as a team. That we would be a church bursting with fruit, freedom, and creative expressions of love as we serve one another and as we serve our Savior. That we, in the weight of our expectations, may give way to the joy of expectancy. That the duty that we feel, the dry duty, would be replaced by delight. And then our service to our church and to our Savior would just give life to our weary bones as we learn to serve the Savior in a totally new way as Christ bears our sins and burdens and we bear fruit for him. Amen.